0: Uh, So, uh, last week we started on Emphasis 4, which is about New Testament leadership terms, uh, functions, and offices. We started with three statements about New Testament leadership, that it's descriptive before prescriptive. Uh, It's charismatic and, and functional before it's hierarchical. And it's organic before organizational. Now, I'm not going to review those in terms of what that means. Those are really important. And if you, don't, if you can't really tell someone what those means, I would really encourage you to get last week's podcast and listen to it and put some thought into it. That's something that should be in your thinking. And so, um, but if you notice, after each one of them, I have it grow, growing from community life. So in in each case, um, frankly, New Testament leadership, uh, becoming the leader that God wants you to be, and everyone's called to be a leader somewhere. You know, in your single household, in your family, uh, in your job, wherever. uh, It it grows out of... uh, the right attitude toward the community leadership that's in your life, and so and and the the proof of that you have it isn't that you have a title or a position, but it's the that uh, the people that you're that you're serving have fruit, and uh, are blessed and and all that kind of stuff. You you can see the proof of the pudding in the people you're leading. So, um, so we covered that last week, and then we looked at the first New Testament leadership term that I want us to all be clear about, and that's the word priest. And of course, that term comes out of the Old Testament, as does all the models of leadership in the New Testament come out of Old Testament leadership. So we're going to talk about elders today and what that is, and the idea of an elder were came out of the, the cities of Israel where each city was led by elders in that city. And the elders had certain qualifications. At, uh, for instance, an elder actually literally meant bearded one. And uh doesn't mean you have to grow a beard, Daniel. It's okay. <laughs> But the implication was that you were old enough to grow a beard. And uh, generally, uh, in Israel, uh, elders were generally thought of it to be about 30 years old. But frankly, in the New Testament, age is really a number. It's all about like a, a kind of seasoned wisdom and fruitfulness and, and all that. And, and it's about having spiritual children. So... Um, Anyway, so last week we looked at the word priest, and we looked at the fact that um, in the New Testament, we are all priests. In fact, what uh, God always, uh, of course, that was true in the Old Testament to a certain extent, but it's very much highlighted in our priesthood derives from Christ, the one true great high priest. All priests of the Bible are foreshadows foreshadowing of Christ. So Christ is the fulfillment of the Melchizedek priesthood and of the Aaron, Aaronic, that is descended from Aaron priesthood. And Christ is the one, he's not only uh, like the priest of the Old Testament, the one who offers sacrifices, he offered the sacrifice of himself once and for all. One of the most important statements in the Bible uh, is uh, when Jesus says, I lay my life down freely, no one takes it from me. Do you remember Jesus says in the Garden of Gethsemane, he says, don't you know that I could appeal to my father for a legion of, you know, Christ could have had six thousand angels just wipe the people out that were in that were coming to arrest him if he wanted. You know, he said, "This hour and the power of darkness are yours." He granted. He he did. He became the one great sacrifice of which all the Old Testament sacrifices are a mere foreshadowing, uh, voluntarily. And a lot of you know that I have a little teaching on the verse in Hebrews that talks about how the blood of Christ speaks better than the blood of Abel. And we bring out three or four ways in which it does. One of which is that Abel shed his blood involuntarily and Christ shed his blood voluntarily. Right? So, uh, all the things that priests do... Because of Christ, because when you're in Christ, we are called to do all the things that priests do. And that is uh, very non-gender specific. So uh, uh, in the whole and egalitarian debate and so forth, if you're a lady, you're called to offer sacrifices of praise and worship the same as a man is. If you're a lady, you're called to teach the people of God the the same as a man is. Now, not in the same, you know, there's some some things about that in terms of functioning in the church and so forth. But in terms of, uh, like, every one of us is called to teach our neighbors, our children, our place of business... We are called to teach the ways of God everywhere we go. And we, are, one of the, you know, Josiah, uh, one of his five benefits uh, that he listed of studying Scripture was the, the ability to minister to others. We cannot fulfill our priesthood if we do not know the Word of God Because we're called to teach the word of God to everyone. So uh, uh, that was all, you know, uh, on priesthood last week. So the next term we want to look at is we want to look at the term overseer or elder Uh, or bishop, or presbyter. Now, those derive, uh, are related to three or four New Testament words, which we're going to touch upon. And they're normally used interchangeably in the the New Testament. Now, so let's look at uh, some things about them. Again, they're normally used interchangeably, and they're always used plural. There's always elders, or overseers. Now, one of the words is the word presbyteros, which we get the word Presbyterian from. Another is the word episkopos, which we get the word bishop or episcopalian from. Episcopalian just means a bishop form of government. Uh, Another word is poimen or poimeno in the verb form, which is the word for shepherd. Uh, Etymologically, it can be pastor, but it's a shepherd in the very same sense that a shepherd shepherds the sheep. And, uh, you know, um, I forget what the, it was not Tim Keller, the, but I think, but the guy's name was Keller. There's a book which you can still find. It's a short book and well worth having, uh, called, "A uh, Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23. And, uh, do you know the first name of the Keller? Philip. Okay. Philip Keller. And, um, no relation to Tim Keller as far as I know, but, uh, you know a shepherd uh knows the sheep by name. a shepherd combs the ticks and the wool out of the shepherd's uh sheep uh, believe me or the shepherd's sheep yeah the she <laughs> yeah the shepherd's sheep there you go uh the sheep uh you know uh one time my wife and I were walking in these uh paths down by bell bellbrook that are uh uh, the uh, paths that that they ride horses on. And the paths are sort of known for the uh, high number of ticks uh, in the area. And uh, we happened to go to uh, Lowe's afterwards, thankfully, instead of home. <laughs> and uh, as we were in Lowe's, my wife noticed two ticks craw- making their way up my legs to... Uh, You know because they try to get up into your head and so forth and fortunately uh you know that happened and she saw them and uh I was sure glad for a shepherd who got rid of the ticks before it made it to my head to bury itself in my lack of hair somewhere and uh and dig in and uh because they cause real problems including things you know terrible diseases Lyme disease and all kind of things and uh I remember being surprised at how difficult it was to kill these ticks. Uh, you know, they're not easy. Like, I had to really smash them, and, you know, and, and smash them and smash them and let them know that I really wanted to smash them. <laughs> and uh, and uh, so, you know, um, so anyway, so we're going to look a little bit at shepherds here as we go. Um, and I have some verses listed there, like 1 Timothy 5, 17, and so forth, that, that have uh, some of these words in them. Now, in First Timothy 3, uh, 1 through 7, as well as in Titus chapter 1, the qualifications for this office are listed. And one of the things that... Um, that I want to stress is that it says that if someone wants to do this, uh, the the Greg Weiss translation is, you must be crazy. No. Uh, <laughs> no, it's a fine work that he desires to do. Because one of the interesting things that you run into, whenever uh, we run into people who are struggling with a critical spirit and so forth, and uh, a lot of times it's because of a desire to, to have a certain office or title or so forth that God hasn't necessarily given to uh, us or to that person or whatever. And that, uh, so a lot of people will think, um, you know, um, like it's an evil thing to want to to, to, to to serve in this way, but there is a proper motivation for wanting to serve in that kind of way. There's also just, uh, there is such a thing as selfish ambition. And unfortunately, selfish ambition is the root, as uh, James tells us, of, um, you know, all sorts of evils and so forth. And uh, uh, it, it, it can be a very deceiving thing and so forth. So, but uh, in general, it's not necessarily wrong uh, if God has given us proper motivation to want to serve in these kind of ways but uh, it, it's to want to serve in such a way that you're going to experience let not many of you become teachers because you'll incur stricter judgment you're going to experience um, that uh, precious in the Lord's sight is the death of his godly ones and uh, it's, it's a very costly work <laughs> And as uh, one of our books of the year today, and I have actually asked everyone on the leadership team to read this book before our uh, meeting a week from this Monday night. It's it's called Spiritual Authority by Watchman Nee. And one of the uh, most important qualifications of leadership is that in a certain way, you don't want the job. And especially because in the sense that you... uh, that you feel, I'm not qualified for the job. And someone who feels that they're qualified to have these uh, all sorts of opinions and insights and so forth and so forth, usually is uh, you you don't ever have grace to have opinions or insights into something you're actually not called to. You're always going to have, you know, one of the things that's the most important thing in, in uh, having Christian community be successful is um, you have grace for something that's given you as your sphere of responsibility. You don't have grace for things that aren't your sphere of responsibility. And if you try to have too many opinions about them, it will lead... To strife, as as James says, in disorder and every sort of evil thing in your own life and and, unfortunately, in the church. So that's that's a huge thing. And then, if you go through the rest of the qualifications, they're mostly uh, character qualities. Managing your own household well, and and. Uh, managing finance as well, and it doesn't mean you're rich at all. You could be quite uh, on a tight budget, but it it means that you know how to live within your means and all sorts of things. So uh, I'm not going to do a teaching here on... uh, on these on the qualifications in First Timothy three and Titus one in detail, if you want to study that, see me. Uh, one resource I'll give you: We just had a wedding at Arbor Church, and my good friend Steve Woodman actually did a series on this sort of thing, and he went through every line of First Timothy. Uh, chapter 3, 1 through 7, and Titus 1, uh, line by line, and did a really excellent job with it, and uh, I can get you that resource if if you want. Uh, flip over and you'll see the Titus portion of that. And uh, But I do want you to notice in both the Timothy portion that the word uh, episkopos is in there, and... Uh, Unfortunately, so is the word diabolos, which we get the word devil from. Uh, Titus, the word presbyteros is in there. And, um, um, and there you have it. So, um, then in, in uh, 1 Timothy... Five seventeen through twenty two, is another passage uh, that says the presbyters who rule well. We would, you know, I've uh, people don't use that verse in modern times, because the idea of someone ruling us is super foreign to our uh, way of thinking. But these positions are actually positions of management, and you know, in Hebrews. Thirteen seven, it says to consider those who led you, who spoke the word of God to you, and considering the outcome of their way of life, imitate their faith. You know, the first thing we always look at when we feel like God's calling someone to uh, to leadership is how healthy is their marriage, and especially the peace, and wisdom, and quiet. Uh, wonderful spirit of, of of the person's wife and the uh, the overall healthiness of the kids in terms of maturity, vocation, uh, all these kinds of things. You know, relationships and working in relationship conflicts and how did, and how well they work through the, all that kind of stuff. So. Um, um one of the things that you need to know is that the you know Jesus is very clear that uh uh you know I I actually believe we're at a, in a time in our church of a kind of a spiritual attack against leadership in our church and no kingdom divided against itself can stand uh, you know in Revelation 12 the Uh, Satan is depicted first as the accuser of the brethren, and then secondly as the deceiver. And uh, and who he comes after is the male child, which the male child is always representative of this. The mother always represents the church or the people of God. And uh, when Revelation was written... It was actually written about a particular time period. It was, it was not about the end times or the future. It was about what was about to take place because Nero had come to power and he was an, an, an antichrist. And the church was about to go through a great persecution. And the end of what the New Testament is all about, that is a transition from the old people of God being the physical, biological descendants of, of Abraham and Israel, I, you know, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, who became Israel, and uh, the new people of God, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it, was, had, a, had emerged and had become established and so forth, and God was about to let, the persecution was about to change, from the church being primarily persecuted by the Judaizers. And now they were going to go start on a period that lasted uh, from about 66 AD until 313 AD uh, when Constantine issued the Edict of Constantine, uh, also called the Edict of Toleration and the Edict of Milan, but if you do the math, that's uh, 34, 47, 247 years the church was about to experience of the persecutors of the church were, was now no longer going to be the nation of Israel because the nation of Israel was, was wiped out by Titus and had be, not, not that there weren't Jews anymore but they had no political clout or base or anything like that, and the temple was gone, and temple worship was gone, and the kingdom was now thoroughly wrested away from them and given into the hands of the church, and the church now went through a time of great persecution at the hands of the civil authority, the political government, uh, Nero all the way through to, to eventually Diocletian, Justin Martyr and so all these kind of people uh, were, you know, key names during all this time. Uh, you, if you study that period, you'll come across the name of an interesting guy called Julian the Apostate who was a, you know, bloodthirsty killer of Christians. Uh, and so, um, you know, Revelation is, 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 is preparing the church for that. And uh, because um, God's new move always comes out of his old move. Uh, his new, new people always come out of his old people. There's always a remnant, and the remnant births the, the new move of God. And, and uh, Satan primarily hates anything that's getting established that has plur, plural male authority in it. And so um, he seeks to devour the male child before it can get established, and he does it by the whole principle of strike the shepherd and the sheep will scatter. He'll come against uh, the elders, but particularly the senior elder. Uh, you know uh, who? You know that's why there was a messenger to each church. Uh, which is the was the senior pastor of each church in Revelation two and three. So, anyway, all of that is is uh, kind of at play, and you know we're in kind of a time when that's that's kind of happening in our midst. And there's uh, you know pr- uh, probably next week I'll actually teach out of uh, Romans chapter five. I'm going to kind of interrupt the series that we're doing and. For a week and do romans 5 and hebrews 12 my son don't regard lightly the discipline of the lord and and uh how to go through a time when uh when you're going through a lot of personal troubles and you're discouraged and not uh allowing that to cause you to have a root of bitterness that that springs up and causes many to be defiled and so forth so Uh, so anyway, we're, that's kind of a time of spiritual warfare that we're, we're all in. Um, I, because of time, we've taught elsewhere and we have foundational articles, we have materials available on all the qualifications for elders and how they function and all that. But you know how we function as a church is we have a senior elder and we have two other elders and, uh. Uh, really three because of course Jason is still in the mix. By the way greetings from Jason. I had about a two and a half, three hour meeting with Jason this week. On uh, What night was he? What did we meet? Wednesday night I think and uh, Jason's doing very very well. This has been a really great season for he and Carla and I don't think I've seen Jason with that much joy and, and refreshed, refreshed and clear and uh, he, he, it was really, really exciting to see him doing so well. Uh, Wednesday night we hung out for about three hours, and um, uh, they, the, the hails are doing great. Um, so um, I'm probably, because of time, I'm probably not going to go on to the word deacons today. Um, and I, again, I'm not developing all these characteristics of eldership. We have gone through those line by line elsewhere. And uh, it's, it's, it's uh, kind of important, but I do also think it's always kind of important to be, you know, like a lot of people can't get so, so about minutia that they get minutia taken out of larger context. And it's always important to be able to tie things back into a larger context. Context, and so in terms of uh, the this list in First Timothy three, and this uh, lit in Titus chapter one, um, what I would try to, to encourage you is is that God is very practical, and uh, we have a little teaching in our church called the five C's of leadership, and I would encourage you to memorize this. I'm going to give it to you again in case. You don't know it, but you should, this is actually uh, a kind of thing that I actually use when I'm talking to someone. Like if Caleb and I are going for a bike ride, I actually think about things like the EPDC <laughs> and uh, uh, the seven institutions of God's kingdom. And so, you know, uh, for for instance, um, some people think like, all the most spiritual guys are supposed to be on a leader, the leadership team, but that's not always true. Yeah, for instance, I'll uh, you know uh, in Bowling Green when we first discussed in the early seventies, it's it's good having some people that are not not uh, thirty, but are more like thirty a couple times over. Uh, <laughs> you know that have been around the block a few times. But when we first, because it's not just about studying this thing, stuff, it's about applying it in such a way that it becomes functional and practical in, in all this. But when we first uh, kind of discovered that Jesus' motto was, were in, the, in the, the biblical motto was, you know, Moses and Joshua, Elijah and Elisha, Elisha and Gehazi, that, you know, that there was this one-on-one small group a uh, need for personal pastoral care and discipleship what you know the, all the what we call the EPDC that someone walks you through uh, you know evangelism and forming you in Christ pastoral care and getting your life and your family and your calling and your vocation and your all that stuff together and then discipleship where you get trained and equipped for more leadership and and all that if somebody does does that with you when we first started learning this stuff, we one of the things we did is like the head pastor of the church got all the brothers who were kind of been around for more like seven or ten years, uh, and they and and they were in his home group and he was discipling them. We're about to go to a similar system here. We're going to start four home groups in our church and and uh, we've already kind of discussed who's you know going to be in each one and. This kind of thing. And so, um, you know, uh, the head pastor was discipling all the older brothers. And, of course, I was uh, uh, 18 years old at the time and one year in Christ and very zealous but considered, like, yeah, you know, he's just a newbie. He'll he'll mellow out and eventually and uh, that sort of stuff. And so... Uh, then, you know, each of, each of the guys in, that was being discipled took a, a home group under their wing, and, and we kind of had this idea for a while, like, all the most spiritual guys should be the home group leaders. And then what I call the Mike Baez principle, Mike Baez is still a friend of mine today, a very interesting guy, uh, you know, won the National Golden Gloves in boxing a number of times, uh, you wouldn't want to fight him, um, <laughs> and uh, never knocked off his feet, uh, and so forth. And Mike was a home group leader, and Mike came to the elders, and and we, you know, we used to have a 6 a.m. prayer meeting with uh, about, oh, 20 of the key guys in the church that I used to go to, and um, Mike said, I don't want to be a home group leader anymore, (laughs) and that was like the thing to be, and uh, because, you know, whenever you're learning something and it's new, (laughs) that's what you think. You know, and he said, You know, I feel like God's called me to get involved in city politics and uh, run for city council. And so we actually re- asked all the guys in Mike's home group to be discipled by someone else and be in a different home group. And they all you know, went to different home groups. And Mike got involved in city po- politics and became a city councilman, <laughs> you know, because the seven spheres of the kingdom of God. Not, er- not everyone who's, who's fruitful and mature and a leader is called to do that in the church. Some people are called to do that in business or in politics or, or so forth, you know. So just keep that in mind because uh, a lot of people make that mistake that all the most spiritual guys should be on the leadership team of the church. Not necessarily, actually. That's, that's not, uh, not true. So, um, but in any case, um, uh, the qualifications for, for leadership, we, we have this thing called the five C's that I think you should always, it would do you well to memorize. Again, the seven institutions, all these kind of things. I, I have about 20 such uh, paradigms. And I, and I have them memorized, and I've had them memorized since 1975. And, and, uh, and I use them when I'm thinking, when I'm praying. When, I'm, you know, when uh, someone's asking me, should I go back to college for this degree or that degree? I use all these things to think. And so the five C's of leadership is just this. The caller before the calling. Every Christian is called to love and minister to the Lord. Your first calling is to worship and love and serve and know God. You know, a, a couple of weeks ago, um, when we were talking a little bit about... Um, some resources we have and so forth. I was a little uh, unorganized that day and didn't get through the outline, but I did give a very impassioned, uh, about 15-minute talk about the knowing God. It was interesting that uh, uh, some people sort of missed that point. But the most important thing of all things is to love the caller to know the caller to study the caller the reason we're using this book none greater because there's none greater (laughs) and there's no emphasis more worthy than to know the lord and one of the greatest promises of the old covenant There's many promises of the coming of the old covenant in places like Ezekiel 36 and Isaiah 53 and and so forth. And one of the greatest ones is the passage uh, in Jeremiah 31, 31 through 33, where God says, it's quoted verbatim in Hebrews chapter 8, where God says, I'll make a new covenant with the house of Israel and so forth. And one of the provisions of that covenant is they will all know me from the least to the greatest. Like we just talked about last week, and we summarized again today, the priesthood of all believers. There's nothing greater than knowing God. The caller comes before all callings. And so, you know, you are, all Christians have three ministries. One, the first one is to God. The second one is to is to one another, and the third one is to those outside the church. This uh, so those are the first two Cs of leadership: the caller before the calling. the The uh, third and fourth C are character before charisma. One of my most uh, fascinating things that I always look for when I watch the news, I love sports, I like to watch a lot of sports, it's amazing how many people with great giftedness in music, sports, politics, and business, and so forth, uh, are destroyed because of a character flaw. That they never let anybody speak into, and uh, it's an equal opportunity destroyer of, of, you know, rich, poor, black, white, Democrat, Republican, uh, young, old, women, men. Uh, character before charisma is so huge. It's huge. You know, while people are working on character flaws, uh, we don't want their gifts to not be used at all, but you always want to be careful because uh, success is a much greater tester than than getting there. Like, in other words, when you're when you're young and ascending into your callings and so forth, that's actually, as hard as that seems, it's much easier than when God's actually kind of blessed you abundantly. That's the greatest testing time of all. That's why uh, so many presidents and and great sports stars and everything else self-destruct. Again, um... Character before charisma. And then lastly, the last C is chosen. And one of the things that's most clear about chosen in the Bible is that when we recognize somebody as a home group leader or as a campus minister, or we raise them up uh, in this capacity or that capacity, all we're trying to do is sometime long after it's actually happened, recognize what God has done. And so uh, that's why, you know, uh, when I first started thinking that, uh, you know, for instance, that Josiah or Daniel had calling in, in their life, you put someone in charge of something that doesn't actually exist uh, like, be in charge of the Central State Campus Ministry. What is that? Well, it's a, there's a university out there and there's people. <laughs> Go see what God will do. And, uh, you know, so when it comes to chosen, how you, what you'd look at is like, how is God blessing the things under their uh, purveyors prevails, whatever, they're, you know, they're, um, you know, like if you wrote like a job description, what's, what's, what's going on, like I, what's going on in their field of responsibility? You know, and, uh, you know, uh, we started by talking about Ned calling me about Sydney. It's been amazing to see how many, you know, Sydney, Uh, Was a guy when I first met him that uh, I tried to convince him that someday he'd be able to actually drive a car. (laughs) You know, and, you know, look at all the things that God has given him today. And, you know, I watch that, you know, uh, you know, I, you know, just, uh, you know, I don't want to use too many exact examples or personal examples, but you watch how God. Gives the person more uh, favor or whatever, you know. Um, You know, uh, um, I I, I pick on an individual recently. uh, Oh, just a few months ago, not very, not even that long ago, uh, six weeks, eight weeks ago. Liz House and I were talking about her job, and she was telling me how the Lord was showing her to have this better attitude in her job and so forth and, and uh, work, work on you know, treating customers this way and that way and you know like within the last week or two her bosses came to her and said we really noticed you got a new attitude and so we want you to go in our training program for leadership and so forth and so you know that's called chosen that's actually what God does like he uh, now that doesn't mean he always like always works that way. Don't forget that Joseph in the book of Genesis, uh, he did what God wanted him to do, and he overcame the seductions of uh, Potiphar's wife, and so God chose him by sending him to jail. <laughs> so, so uh, you can't always just say, "Well, this person got a promotion, so that's you know like a sign that's God's blessing." But in general. Uh, the way God chooses people is fruitfulness in their in the things that he gives them to do. And uh, so uh, all of that is a bigger picture way of looking at these scriptures about you could uh, add to this, look at 1 Peter 5, 1 through 11, and there's lots of other scriptures we could put about overseers and, and how that all works. Uh, so anyway, so now we've uh, gone through uh, two, uh, you know, priest, and then the words, uh, the three words related. Oh, one thing I should stress, uh, and, and you can study this out for yourself, is all overseers, all presbyters and episcopos are always poimings; they're always shepherds. But not all Point Mains are always Episcopas and presbyteros. So study that out. Like, look at every verse on that, and you'll see that all elders, overseers, are always part of their job is always to shepherd people. But lots of people are called to shepherd people who aren't called to be elders or, or overseers. And in fact, everybody is called to some degree to shepherd one another. In the community, we are the, I always say, community disciples, community shepherds. And so everybody is a shepherd and a, and a discipler in a family and in a community to some degree. But that doesn't mean you're necessarily called to be an elder, but sometimes... When someone is faithful in shepherding, uh, God will actually make it more official by saying this person is now called to be an elder. So hopefully that makes sense because we often, I always say that if you have, um, oh, say about 100 people in a church, there should probably be about 10 or so shepherds. You might have two, three, four, or five elders, but you should have 10 or 12 shepherds But you should definitely have 15 or 20 shepherds in training. You know, the people who are growing in their capacity to shepherd. And everybody should be shepherding one another to to one degree or another. So we'll end with that, and uh, we'll get John Gray up here. Where is John Gray?